2: Once again, we want to reiterate that winning souls for Christ is the most important aspect of being a biblical citizen. Last week, we discussed how to recognize heresies and false teachers with a friend of ours, an apologist, who's been doing missionary work for many years in different parts of the world, many parts that are underserved as far as being equipped to recognize different false heresies and and people that lead people away from Christ. So his name is Paul Carden. He's the executive director of the Centers for Apologetics Research. It's also known as Cfar. He's here with us again today. We're really honored to have him. He's going to tell us more about the power of discernment, how important it is to have it, how important it is to develop it. And it's a skill, and it's a, in, in some ways it's a gift, but it's something that every Christian should know a lot about. So welcome to our show again today, Paul.
3: Well, thank you, guys. It's it's really a privilege. It's, it's wonderful, and I look forward to our talk today.
2: Well, this is such an important topic that we didn't want to just stick with one show. We're talking about it again. And if you missed last week's discussion, just go to any podcast platform, type in Biblical Citizen. It will come up, or you can go on the KPRZ website to listen to our
4: discussion. So Paul, you told us a little about your ministry last week. You go to Latin America, Africa, Russia, and one of the most important things you do is equip Christians to discern between the true biblical gospel and false or heretical teachings because false teachers are really common out there, aren't they?
3: They are. It's a universal problem. <clears throat> Understand that every major religion has sects. Every religion has breakaway groups. And so Christianity is not unique in this respect. But, of course, if Christianity is true, the stakes for believing in a false version of Christianity, uh, another gospel, another spirit, another Jesus, as Paul writes in Second Corinthians 11, the stakes are are eternally high, one could say. And so... Christians need to prioritize the cultivation of discernment in their daily lives not only for their own sake but for their friends, their family, their neighbors, because people are being taken captive by counterfeit versions of Christianity and Christ every single day.
4: You know, there's, as we look at heretical teachings out there, there's, you mentioned the Mormons, you mentioned the Jehovah's Witnesses that we're more familiar with. These are groups that certainly claim to be Christian. Now, they would require a different approach, wouldn't they, than someone, say, in Buddhism or in Scientology. Now, we don't have time today to talk about every single heresy, but let's talk about more how to recognize false teachers and what can we do as believers to respond to this challenge. So talk about, Paul, you mentioned this, talk about how discernment depends on data. So what do you mean by that?
3: Okay, well... In our first time together, you alluded to a reality, which is that cultic groups, especially counterfeits of Christianity, use Christian terminology. You talk to Mormon missionaries, and they are trying very hard to sound biblical, and people don't understand that they seem to be using the same vocabulary, but with a different dictionary. When they refer to gospel, or God, or Jesus, or uh, eternal life, what they have in mind, what definitions they put behind those terms is radically different from what the Bible and the historic Christian faith uh, set forth, and again, dangerously so. So when I say that discernment depends on data, consider what the New Testament writers have modeled for us, okay? Mm -hmm. First, in Acts chapter 17, you see the Apostle Paul on Mars Hill. What is he doing? He's engaging with the non-Christian religions of his day. Stick, stick with me, right? Because when, when you're dealing with people who don't have any Christian background, what do you do? You try to build bridges. Now, Paul knows the beliefs of these people well enough to actually quote their spiritual authorities, yep. to, find, to find that common ground, right? They don't know about Jesus or the gospel yet, but, but he's building a bridge of common understanding, common vocabulary, so that they, they can comfortably receive what comes next from him. But what do we also see? In their epistles, we find not just Paul, but Peter and John and Jude engaging with the counterfeit gospels of their day. They're not bypassing them. They're not saying, "Never mind." You know, a lot of a lot of people in the church don't want to talk about these things because it, it seems like they're judging mm-hmm. that they're they're setting themselves above others. That they're making themselves, you know, uh, some kind of uh, critical priesthood, and we we should you know just accept people the way they are. Or, you know, not everybody. I was going to believe the same, but they're engaging with these counterfeit Gospels for the sake of the Church, because if you let these things in the door, things fall apart, people get taken captive, and the true Gospel uh, is, is left aside, and people don't hear the message of salvation. But to warn and instruct Christians about the teachings of false apostles and prophets, these New Testament writers had to be familiar with their claims. Mm. They needed to know who they were. You, you can't answer something that you don't understand. And so the goal of these writers is clearly to uphold the faith and defend the flock. And it's very important to note that they don't hesitate to identify deceptive and divisive teachers by name when it's appropriate to do so.
2: Hmm. So well, I, I do have a question. Yes. Uh, this, uh, this is fascinating because one of the things that these counterfeit groups do, and, you know, including the Mormons, they claim to be Christian, but what they mean by Christian is something different than the Bible says, and they do use a different vocabulary. And so how do you approach someone and try to build that bridge, but you're not even using the same language, you're not using the same vocabulary? So that's one thing we've run into uh, what we mean by salvation is something different than they mean in in so,
4: what, what we mean by Jesus this, Christ is something different from what they mean by Jesus Christ. That, it really gets to be walking through a
3: minefield, doesn't it, Paul? Well, it can. You know it is, but, but, you know, it, it, but as true as that is, I don't want any of our listeners to feel like it's dangerous.
4: Yeah, I, I it's agree. The
3: minefield, in one sense. That, that was actually
4: not a good term. I repent for using that <laughs> term, but go ahead, Paul.
3: No, no, I mean, really don't. No, but. But, but Brian, it applies insofar far as, as you know you, you are walking through territory where you don't know where, where you might you know step on something that that's going to bring about some unexpected result. Uh, it may not be fatal, but you know people have to be willing to take a risk to to lovingly engage with people who are following another gospel, another spirit, another Jesus. And uh, and so, could I give an example from in- encountering? Please do. Missionaries? Yeah. Okay. No, there there is a principle that that came to me, unfortunately, kind of late in ministry. Uh, I have to tell you, I am fascinated by cult groups. I love learning about them, trying to understand them, engaging with them. But so much of it has been head knowledge and not enough compassion. And I think Mark Cares, uh, the uh, Lutheran minister who uh, pioneered a lot of great techniques for ministering to Mormons, uh, really brought this home to me, that people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care, right? You can be Mr. Uh, answer Machine and uh, run circles around the Mormon missionaries, for example, but uh, that's, that's not going to bring them to Christ. That's not going to uh, present the love of Jesus in a way that they can grasp. And so, for example, if, if, if the Mormon missionaries come to my Lord, they haven't lately because of COVID, but if they do, or if I encounter them on the street. I I try to get to know them first. You know, Mm. you don't know how long these encounters will last. You don't know if you'll see them again. But you ask where they're from. You ask how long they've been in the group. And depending on the answer, how they joined. Are they converts? Well, Well, you know, how did they join? Did they have any beliefs before? You know, what made Mormonism appealing to them? Or if they're born and raised, you ask them why they stay. What is the most important truth claim of Mormonism to them?
1: Mm. This yeah. way,
3: you're not only demonstrating compassion and individual interest, Brian and Kathleen, understanding their pathway in to a commitment to Mormonism can also indicate the pathway out.
2: Oh, that is really...
3: what You know, I didn't really think about them. That. Yeah, because there there's a dozen things that could have appealed to them. Uh, you know, the, the claim that, you know, we have more scriptures, or a living prophet, or the way that Mormons take care of their own, or just, you know... A number of things. You want to know this person's spiritual priorities and interests. Hmm. And you also want to try to evaluate, if you've done some study, how much the individual Mormon knows about his or her own religion. Because hmm. I'm sure you guys have seen that what individual Mormons know about their beliefs, even the missionaries, varies hugely.
4: Tremendously. And Tremendously. They,
2: they, they vary as much yeah. as, as far as knowing their history, too.
3: Yeah, their history, <clears throat> yeah. their doctrine, and sometimes uh, I, I will just say, you know, I'll, I'll try to begin drawing some contrast, and I'll say, um, would, you, would you pull out your Book of Mormon and turn to the map section, and literally, Mormon missionaries again and again will pull out their Book of Mormon, they'll open it up, and start flipping and flipping and flipping, and you and I know there is no map section.
4: There is no map <laughs> yeah. section like there is in virtually every
3: Bible. Yeah, that's yeah, quite, a, quite a contrast.
4: Well, and we yeah, want to be— don't
3: do that to, to humiliate them. Right, No. no. But but you want to begin to illustrate what is different about Mormonism and Biblical Christianity, and mm. and then uh, you know you, you start making it personal, uh, you know because when you're talking to missionaries, you know, it's, you're not just bothering someone. Usually they've come to bother you in a sense, uh, in in a helpful way as they see it. But you see, you know, you're spending two years to pull people out of their churches, and even worse, away from Jesus and the Bible telling them that they need Joseph Smith and the LDS Church and the Mormon Standard Works, and communicating with them that this is mission impossible, Hmm. that they can never be righteous enough, the Mormon scriptures are counterfeit, and the good news is Jesus is enough, and the Bible is enough.
2: And we want to be actively seeking the Holy Spirit in getting to know these different souls that we want to bring to Christ, and we want to discern ways of reaching out to those around us in love so we're going to be back with paul cardin executive director of the centers for apologetics research right after a short break and we will talk more about evangelizing and being strategic and sensitive
1: there is more biblical citizen let's roll still to come on Praise.
2: Is your employer forcing you on threat of your job to take an experimental injection that the CDC admits does not stop the transmission of COVID and you have serious concerns? Well, learn about your options from a constitutional attorney on Saturday night, October 16th at Infusion Church at 7 p.m. That's Saturday night, October 16th at 7 p.m. at Infusion Church in Escondido. It's free. Just register at eventbrite.com, and we'll see you there.
1: Welcome back to Biblical Citizen. Let's roll. Now, here are your hosts, Kathleen and Brian Melinakis on k
4: We are back with our guest, Paul Cardin, Executive Director of the Centers for Apologetics Research, talking about ways to reach out to neighbors who may be caught up in either a cult or other heretical teachings, and how to respond sensitively and strategically to the promptings of the Holy Spirit. So, Paul, you say that there's four steps that we can do to respond to people who we feel or it's apparent that they're involved in some sort of false teaching or even a cult. So what are those four steps?
3: Well, first let me just say that uh, we we live in a time when, uh, unlike when I began in this ministry in the 70s, we have a wealth of information at our fingertips on the Internet. And you know, it's, it's, I, I will say that, of course, some of that abundance is junk. Uh, yes. Is done by people who don't know what they're talking about, who are uh, really not authoritative in what they have to say, but a lot of it is good. And just for an example, uh, uh, you know, if people do go to our website, thecenters.org, we have an entire database Searchable database of groups, so that if you've encountered a group with an odd name or an odd publication or something, and you want to just straight facts about that group, chances are you'll be able to find it on our groups database. But uh, the average person doesn't want to become an expert in cults, probably, mm-hmm. and I appreciate that. Um, but if you are in a situation where you need to know about a group because some, something funny is going on, somebody is coming under the influence of some people who are not healthy spiritually or seem to be pulling your friend or loved one away from fellowship in a true church, there are four major steps that you can take. The first thing is to be able to identify the group based on classical, classic characteristics. You know, are they deviating from scripture in some important way? Are they behaving deceptively? Are they uh, engaging their followers in a manipulative way, uh, even, even an exploitative way. You know, you're looking for those danger signs, and you need to make a positive identification of the group if it's a known group. Sometimes these groups are kind of like garage cults. There's very few people, but they're operating like the big boys. The second thing is to understand its claims and practices, right? First, you identify the group, then you seek to understand it uh, and get deeper into how they depart from biblical Christianity what what word games they may be using, how they may be redefining Christian terms, uh, or introducing new doctrines that have no basis in Scripture but sound very spiritual. Once you've been able to identify the group and understand its claims, that then gives you a basis for answering the false claims and practices from Scripture and other evidences. And very often, when you're dealing with groups that claim to be Bible-based, they're just taking Scripture out of context. Uh, they're either changing what Scripture says because they have a different version of it, like the Jehovah's Witnesses, or they're, <clears throat> they're ignoring uh, the actual context of a passage or many passages to make an invalid point. And that's pretty easy to, uh, to, to demonstrate with your friend or loved one. You know, opening the Bible and encouraging them to read the Bible for themselves. Um, and there are other evidences, like the Book of Mormon. Uh, for example, the Mormon missionaries are telling you it's another test- testament of Jesus Christ. But if you, you know, it, it takes five or ten minutes to show that it has no basis in history. There's no archaeological proof that supports the Book of Mormon, unlike the Bible, where there are new evidences being unearthed practically every day. Hmm. And all of these things take you to number four, which is the ability to evangelize the followers of these groups or the people who are in danger of being converted sensitively and strategically. You know, I would take you to 2 Timothy uh, chapter 2, and I just love how Paul puts this here. He says, uh, The Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all, able to teach, patient when wrong, with gentleness correcting those who are in opposition. If perhaps God may grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil, having been held captive by him, to do his
2: well, And I would think that one of the main things that you need to do to, to evangelize strategically and sensitively is know what kind of needs that other person has, as we've discussed, the, what makes them vulnerable to maybe being drawn into these cults, the intellectual needs, and be very sensitive to whether they're a more tough minded person or, or tender minded, as you've said, more intellectual or more emotional. You know, what's drawing them? Is it a social need that they have or or do they want these spiritual experiences? Just be really tuned in to what kind of person that that they are? Get to know them and yes, ask about their desire to read the Bible for themselves, or you know just ask, "Do you want to read the Bible with me?" or Yes, ask them a question pertaining to their particular needs, right?
3: absolutely absolutely and and one other thing that i think you everybody can relate to i think that you can also use the four uh use the love languages Hmm. uh gary chapman you know people people are hungry for affirmation right and very often cult missionaries and recruiters uh pick up on if your love language is uh, words of affirmation or if it's touch or words of service will pick up on that uh, and, and th- th- these are good characteristics of people but but they can also be points of vulnerability if people are lonely needy uh, disappointed in church and somebody comes along with something new and they zero in on those love language points if you follow me yeah and uh, that, that's something for an area of self-awareness number one and also to to, to discern what could be uh, leading somebody else to kind of Uh, check their brains at the door or (laughs) or ignore the Bible and follow after people who are treating them well.
2: Well, and there might be people that are unfamiliar with that book, The Love Languages. So uh, who's the author again,
3: you said? Gary Chapman. Gary Gary Chapman, Gary Chapman,
2: and it's The Love Languages, The Five Love Languages. And yes, didn't he write that so we can get to know our marriage partners better?
4: (laughs) Well, as a side benefit, that might be a good thing, too. (laughs) But I
2: mean, it, it applies to anyone, get to know their love language what
4: applies to them most
2: personally as far as what what you know they respond to I want to so.
4: talk about another concept that you brought up with us Paul in a previous discussion and that is the way of showing the beauty of the gospel to anyone considering it is to compare any other human life to the life of Jesus now I've seen this comparison um relating to Islam, but I think it could be a lot of other a lot of other heretical teachings as well i've seen the life of Muhammad compared to the life of Jesus, and it's a pretty stark contrast so I don't know. What what do you think? It's isn't it the love of Jesus that gives meaning to our very lives? And no one can really compare. I wouldn't want my life compared to the life of Jesus. So, is that something you can uh, relate? That people can relate to? Yeah, yeah, of
3: course. uh, so, So there are groups like Islam, like Mormonism, like Scientology whose leaders' life stories and teachings define not just the group, but even the meaning of ultimate reality. If you look closely at Mormonism, for example, Joseph Smith defines reality.
1: Yeah. Right.
3: He, he tells you uh, things like that, that there is no such as actual spirit, that even spirits are material things. Right. And just all I mean, it just everything he touches, he redefines practically. And so... Not only is he the, the central figure of Mormonism, they'll claim it's Jesus, but really it's Joseph Smith, because without Joseph Smith, there is no Mormonism. Right. Without Muhammad, there is no Islam. Right. Without L. Ron Hubbard, there is no Scientology, right? right. Well, and
2: Mormons so, actually say that Jesus, I mean, that Joseph Smith is only second to Jesus in, in virtue and in, you know, someone to be respected. But when you look at his actual life, and I did, through my book, secret combinations, uh, mm-hmm. evidence for early Mormon counterfeiting. His life is in stark contrast to Jesus. I mean, as far as being just a moral person, he was not. Uh, so anyway, keep going about the yeah. other leaders.
3: So just being very, very brief of you, just to give you an example. I was at a cult conference in Northern Europe several years ago, and during a break I was approached by a representative, a PR person for the Church of Scientology, They typically attend these events because they want to influence scholars and other people uh, favorably toward Scientology. And so I asked him about what he believed, how he joined the group. And then I said, I asked him if as a Scientologist, he considered L. Ron Hubbard, the founder, to be the most spiritually advanced human who's ever lived. Well, Well, the answer, the correct answer, if you're a Scientologist, is yes. So then we talked. So I, you know, he, he committed to that, and of course that, that throughout the teachings of Scientology, Elon Hubbard is the person to define reality and everything else for you. So I, we're
4: we're almost at the end, Paul. So you're going okay, to have to summarize. But,
3: but, but anyway, I was able to calmly, respectfully contrast Elon Hubbard's life with Jesus' life, Jesus' extraordinary character, the embodiment of love and ultimate sacrifice and supreme hope, and that Jesus is not only sufficient. He outshines every other religious leader who's ever lived. So I encouraged him to read the New Testament for himself to get to know Jesus
4: personally. That's a a wonderful story. Amen. amen Paul, thanks so much for being with us again. And I think sometime in the not-too-distant future we're going to have to have you again because I feel like we just haven't covered—we've covered the little part of the elephant here, but some important stuff, so— Thanks, Paul. Thank you, Brian. Yeah, thanks for being with us.
2: To bless your neighbor this week, become more aware of the people around you that need the true teachings of Jesus. Remember, discernment depends on data. That is, knowing the Word of God so that you can detect counterfeits. It's good to understand the teachings of specific groups that your friend is involved in and then be ready to give answers. Ask them Would you like to read the Bible with me? Remember, you can get more information on this center, at the Centers for Apologetics Research. The website is thecenters.org. Bless you till next week.
1: Thanks for joining us for Biblical Citizen. Let's roll. Join us next week at the same time as Kathleen Melanakis, author and retired registered nurse, and her husband, Brian Melanakis, former company president, explore the deeper issues and spiritual forces behind the news and how we as believers can be salt and light in our culture and in the political arena. Biblical Citizen Let's Roll seeks to educate and activate Christians at the grassroots level, helping them to live out their responsibility to Influence civic affairs for good. Next week, we will cover more major news happening from the view of the Biblical Citizen. To learn more about the show, how to become a guest or a sponsor, send an email to Biblical Citizen at Gmail.com. That's Biblical Citizen at Gmail.com. This has been Biblical Citizen. Let's roll on K Praise.